Hello and welcome back to the Red Special Guitar Podcast. In today's video, it's another podcast! Way! I know it's been a while and I'm really sorry that in 2023 there has been less episodes, but there's something that in 2024 I'm really going to focus on making sure there are more episodes speaking to people like you who are watching the podcast. But if you are excited to see a new episode, then please make sure that you like and subscribe. Hit the little bell notification so you know when we've posted. Go and follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts so you can see when new information has been posted like the upcoming information on the 2024 uk red special guitar meetup Whee! i know everyone's really excited to know what's going on i'm excited to tell you it seems like it's a, a really odd thing to announce so early but there's a good reason for that this year anyway back to today's episode and in today's episode we are talking to someone who is a massive uber queen fan it has driven them to do the things that they have done to do like all of us He's a singer-songwriter, lead guitarist of a band, and writes songs for bands that we all know and love, and is a wonderful friend of mine now, Mr. Stephen Battelle from Lost Alone. And welcome to the Red Special Guitar Podcast again. Um, today I am somewhere very special with someone who is also very special behind a red board. Some might say he's in front of a red special board. It is Lost Alone Stephen Battelle, everyone. Hey, lovely to be here today. Welcome. Very excited about this in general. It's been in a diary talking about Brian May, Brian May guitar. It's just, I can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday? Sunday, it's a Sunday, yeah. it's a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. I can't think of a better way to spend it, so yeah, I'm, I'm overjoyed to be here. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on it. No, no, thank you. I mean, I, like you and probably everybody watching this, um, uh, and have been obsessed with Brian and his guitar, and it's the reason I'm playing this venue tonight, I guess, like, we'll talk about it, but yeah, it's the, it's the reason I do what my career is, if you can call being in a band a career. Definitely yeah. a career. It is, it is, it is something, yeah. Don't leave the bit in where I instructed him to go do this. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So, Stephen, for those that don't know who you are, let's explore that a little bit. You are lead singer, guitar player in a band, Lost Alone, yep. and you're a songwriter by trade. You're yep. on tour currently at the moment, Southampton we are today, yep. and you're the act supporting McFly. Yeah, true. So, yeah, really brief history of me. Obviously, I was really into playing football when I was a kid and then uh, my mum was a massive Queen fan and uh, it was always being played and something happened to me around like 12 or 13 uh, I definitely saw the Freddie Mercury tribute at some point and something in me like just that was for my generation that was a huge moment even the other bands playing like Metallica Extreme yeah. um, who at the time I hated their kind of uh, their set they did the medley but I've come to go actually no that's cool they did that anyway um, yeah so I, I got into Queen like very like, like I said at 11 and I just became obsessed with being in a band uh, myself and my drummer Mark who's still here today we met when we were 12 at school we formed like so many bands you know Spinal Tap level like 35 band members in a week um, people joining our band because they broke a leg and as soon as their leg was healed they were left because they wanted to play football <laughs> Anyway, yeah, then myself and Mark had loads of bands. Um, we, we formed our kind of real band when we left. Like, Mark went to uni, I, I just carried on playing and stuff. Formed our real band, uh, Lost Alone, and we signed a record deal out in Europe. Um, did, did really well in kind of Germany, places like that. Always done good in the UK, but not like, you know, not where everyone here is going to, we're not household yeah. names. 
And we signed a record deal in, uh, with Warner Brothers in America. We toured with bands like My Chemical Romance, Paramore, Evanescence, 30 Seconds to Mars. And we built up like a very passionate, I would say spread thinly around the world because we've been a lot of places. We're not massive in one place, but people travel to see us. And we, we have a great, a great passionate fan base. And then during the pandemic, I'd already started writing songs for other people. I always wrote everything in Lost Alone. Um, I started writing for other artists. I went to Nashville just before the pandemic. I was writing country songs, random. Anyway, then to bring us up to date, I was asked to go in the studio with McFly, and um, who I'd never met, but their producer was a fan of my band. And I um, hit it off with them day one, like big time. The, um, they are incredible songwriters themselves, but they just wanted to add like a different flavour, which I think is a real uh, impressive thing to do, actually. If you're already an amazing songwriter, who's songwriters who've had like seven number one singles, and when singles meant something as well. Yeah. They had seven number one singles and people actually had to physically go out and buy them. Um, but they just wanted to, you know, they wanted to add another flavour to their, their, the four of them who were all super talented. So yeah, we met, we got on so well, and... Um, I stayed for two years, um, and we made a record, uh, which went to number two in the charts a few weeks ago. And then the follow-on from that is we've become really close friends, and they asked if my band would like to do this tour, which is the record yeah. I wrote. So I guess that's a brief, a brief bullet point summary of like you know music is affecting my life, yeah. and I'm obsessed with Queen. Yeah. And I also did not mean to even wear this hoodie. <laughs> it's, this is just my the most comfortable hoodie for on tour. Uh, so I have it. I have it. My Queen Miracle uh, hoodie. And yeah. we met, um, I met you at the Starfleet launch in yeah. May, which is quite fortuitous, really. To yeah, we were kind of sat next to, maybe it was Danny and then you. Yeah, yeah it was, I mean, for me, that, um, you know, kind of going into detail again about Queen, I, I, it wasn't like I liked Queen. It was like I went obsessed with them at a very early age. And Starfleet, for me, was just like, as, as a guitar player, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I also loved the imagery. The TV show just felt like some kind of alien thing that I didn't know about. Um, and also I think it's important to say that like at that point in time, in the mid-90s, it was still like when I collected Queen, uh, myself and Mark, my drummer, he loved status quo and I have Queen. Like Everyone else loved Nirvana. And we were like, you know, I mean, Queen was cool. Mark was into quo, who I do love, but it was still not quite as cool. Um, but we would go to record fairs. A record fair would come to Derby, where we're from, um, once a month. We'd say we'd have paper rounds. We'd save up our money. And the thing then was, like, we didn't know when we were buying Hot Space or the game or a day at the races. We had no idea what we were going to hear. Yeah. You, uh, there wasn't the you know. If I tell somebody now about Queen, and they can look straight away and go, oh, maybe stick away from this one because that's the more rock. We just had no concept of that, and so was, I really cherish that that's the way I got into music, where it was unknown, and so I put the vinyl on, and it was such a discovery, and I didn't know what order things came in. Uh, I think maybe we discussed this when we chatted before on the phone about, I thought the first album for years was called Fame, because it had the Fame <laughs> record label. Yeah. Just things that then, and I, I really missed that level of um, uh, finding things that way. So yeah... Um, I've completely forgot what the question was you asked me, but that's the answer. It's <laughs> a great answer. Oh, Starfleet. Yeah. Starfleet. That was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much chance, because I didn't realise you were sat where you were or who yeah. you were. Yeah, Because uh, I've been following the podcast for ages. Cause yeah. And if I saw, hold on, there's a podcast about the Red Special, okay, I am <laughs> going to start listening to that. 
Thank and then you. I didn't know you were sat there. Um, <laughs> and so he's very kindly said hello after. But that was a, such a cool day. Um, Danny and Dougie, the, the McFly record we made, was heavily influenced by Van Halen. And we'd been sharing music for a couple of years, you know, stuff I'd not heard. They got me to Jellyfish. I'd never even listened to that band. And when I did, I was like, wow, this is like everything I like is in that band. And the same with, they obviously knew Queen, but the extent of my knowledge, they really enjoyed kind of um, getting to know the deeper facts. And when I explained that there was a, you know, there was a, an, a mini album that was Van Halen and Brian May, they were blown away. And uh, then I was like, Brian May's reissuing it and there's a thing at Abbey Road. And they were like, well, we know his management. It's quite easy. And they, they got us in for yeah. it. And uh, the three of us found it quite emotional. It was, we'd been in the studio a lot, and then to hear Brian talk so passionately, passionately about something that clearly meant a lot to him, um, and just realising, obviously, Brian is like a, an icon to everyone, but just to get that, that levelling thing of, like, when you see him talk about music and realise we're all the same, you could see the passion he had for, like, the... Uh, really, I know you'll agree with this, there was a moment where he was going, that's me, that's Eddie. Yeah. And it was just like, that's the kind of thing I'd do. Like, yeah. it, was just so, it was so nice to... Um, I think people can become jaded. Yeah. And it was really nice to see that Brian was so excited to be putting that out. And he was genuinely happy that other people were, like, really excited to, to, to hear about it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was such a fun day. That was really cool. It was a really fun day. And, uh, yeah, to see the emotion in him as he was, was going through it. And it definitely emanated out through the crowd as well. Oh, it really did, yeah. Everyone sort of felt like they were in the room with them yeah. as they were recording it. Yeah, the sound of... I mean, we all got the record, but the sound of it in Abbey Road played yeah. loud with the man who created it. Yeah. Uh, sort of, I remember me, Danny, and Dougie just looking at each other. I, I think there's like... When you go to those things, sometimes you don't know the level they're going to be. It might just be, thanks for coming, listen to the record. I think we all kind of had spine tingles. We didn't realise... We should have, because it's Brian May, and he's so... If he does something, he does it. Yeah. Um, I don't think we really realised how special it was going to be to be able to be in a room with him explaining something that and especially for me a record that had meant so much uh, I used to stare at the you know the, the vinyl and the, the inside's got the bass and the red special yeah. and Eddie's Frankenstein I used to stare at that thing for like <laughs> days like, my mum was like what are you doing I was like I'm just staring at Brian May's guitar nothing's going to happen to it I just need to stare at it it's the worst thing to do with your time yeah d- definitely yeah. so if we go back to your story with Queen and you talked about watching the Freddie Mercury tribute concert and yeah. then sort of it maybe planting a seed or becoming that moment where you thought oh, this is something that I need to do what happens there is that do you talk to your mum about Queen music because obviously as you said buying the music was a lot of different experience yeah, back yeah. then you couldn't just go and download Queen's greatest hits instantly C- com- completely yeah I mean uh, I was very lucky in that my, my mum and dad had different tastes, but it was all kind of in... I mean, music was just great, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and my dad was more Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and my mum was Queen, George Michael, Madonna, uh, Michael Jackson. So I'd always heard that music, you know, dad playing Led Zeppelin, then mum putting on, you know, Wham. And I think that really, in terms of songwriting, is why I'm able to write massive heavy riffs and also pop songs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, di- directly after the Freddie Mercury tribute, something happened to me. I-, I can't say what, but it was like all the kind of... F- I was obsessed with football boots and kits. It just ended. 
and suddenly it was like I need I need guitars and I need to know about Queen, um, and so I can't. I've chatted to this about a few people before uh, with a few different people before, but I just decided at twelve I'm going. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to be a rock star, and I'm not not claiming I'm a rock star now. I mean, I've, I've played to a lot of people, but. Um, you know, when you're 12, I'm like, what are you doing? Well, clearly I'm going to be playing arenas. Yeah. Uh, I just said, that's what I'm going to do. And we just, me and Mark, we just met. We were just very, I don't want to say arrogant, because I don't think you can be that arrogant at 12, but we just assumed that's what we were going to do. And we worked. And uh, we worked really hard. And we were awful for a long time. Um, but I think because we started at 12, by like 16, we were actually like, like when I, I listen back to te- uh, demos from them, and they're, they're good, like... They're good songs and they're they're well done, you know. And um, we did a thing where I mean, this was ridiculous, but one of the first weird things that happened to us was we went on a kids' TV show called Why Don't You? Right. Um, Some random thing happened where um, I mentioned about the thirty-five thousand band members we had in like a month. One of them (laughs) called us up in the summer holidays and went, "Guys, we'd we'd sacked him. We didn't like him anymore." It was a classic breaking up with friends and then making friends. I don't know what we'd fallen out over, like, you know, you know some 5P chew or something <laughs> back then. Uh, sounds like I'm from, like, the 40s, but I'm definitely not. Um, but, yeah, um, he called up and went, guys, I've had the call. We were like, what? He's like, why don't you want us? And we were like, oh, yeah. Like, it was like the big, we thought we'd made it. And um, we were predated the White Stripes, no bass player. Yeah. We were just like, nice. you know, and it wasn't through choice. just because no one wanted to be the band. And we, uh, some producers from BBC came to a kitchen in Alice Street, Derby, and we played this song I wrote called In the Palace, which was about my bedroom, you know, at 13. And, um, yeah, they held a phone up to, like, the director of the show, and he went, yeah. And I, when I think back now, it must have just been the most awful thing he was listening to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we, we were on this Why Don't You show, and we thought, like, we were rock stars, and obviously that was just, like, a weird kid thing. And after that, quite quickly, we became, like... There's a few bands in Derby who had record deals who were like, you know, 10 years older than us. And what I really think is really important now, and I'm grateful, is they must have seen something in us because they all, even though we were young, we couldn't get into bars and stuff, they all started getting us to support them. And they were signed bands, they were amazing bands. They were on the radio, a band called The Beekeepers, there was a band called Gorilla and a band called Cable. And Cable toured America. They were all like really, uh, and they just kind of went, Part of them laughing at us in a way because we were these young kids who thought we were like, we thought we were like Queen. Yeah. I've got cassettes of me and Mark talking, being interviewed like we'd already played Wembley. You know, that kind of, oh, my voice is dead high. How was it for you? You know, like Bob Harris has interviewed us or something. But anyway, yeah, so they really, they elevated us from like not being able, we started playing gigs early and supporting bands that had big audiences. So yeah, and then it was kind of a few years, what I call like quite wilderness where Mark went to uni and then we were still a band, but it was, we were going through a weird, like we were, into the Pixies and everything went a bit more like um, we were trying songs not to be catchy almost, you know. Mm. Uh, and then um, quite quickly, um, our early 20s, we formed Lost Alone. And I find this really hard to kind of describe, but for some reason, very instantly, the first single we put out, it got on the radio. And then other bands who, like, we never met, but they were big, would just call us up, like... Hayley Williams from Paramore just got in touch. Your first record's our favourite. Do you want to come on tour? Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mikeva same thing. It was never through an agent. We, we've got an amazing agent and have had it for years now. Becky's incredible. But in the very early days, it was the b- big bands 
heard something in our first record uh, that was all done very independently, and, and then it's just been, honestly, non-stop since then for me. Lots of touring in Europe, which is my favourite thing to do, like, everywhere. Um, and, yeah, just the Queen influence for me, uh, every record, we, we've always been very critically acclaimed, commercially not as successful as I'd hope we'd be. Like, you know, we're not selling out arenas on our own, but we tour and sell stuff. But all the reviews always talk about Queen, and I've done a lot, you know, it's definitely the DNA of Queen is in my songs because it's, you know, the band I love. And, um, yeah, so I guess that's, um, that's kind of how the band kind of got from Freddie Mercury tribute to actually, you know, genuinely doing this where, like, wow, I've wrote this song on my bed in my parents' house and now I'm in Berlin and a thousand people are singing the lyrics to me. Yeah. It's the most incredible feeling ever. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's it. And it's all definitely all down to the Freddie Mercury tribute, I actually think. Which is really, I mean, there's a, I mean, you've listened hopefully to some of the podcasts yeah, yeah. and that gig seems to be quite a... It's a thread for a lot of for people, a lot of isn't people it? Yeah. Of the similar sort of time. And yeah. Were you at that time thinking that you were one of the only people on this route with Queen? Because I think... Yeah, because, it, like I said, like, Queen, there's this whole thing of people who got into Queen after Freddie passed away. But there's a like I mean obviously now there's a whole new situation yeah. but the the people who got into Queen in the nineties it was the tribute thing that was the because when you're dead young they're not being that visible to you as like yeah. a, a seven year old but that thing was such a big deal I remember my parents and my grandparents sat down for the day and watched it and I, and I was just sat there glued to it going you know it was almost like a what would have been Live Aid for like a yeah. generation before so yeah I think that is so important and. I've really enjoyed sharing the Freddie Mercury tribute with other people now and going, look at this thing. Because obviously it's about Freddie, but it's also... Like, so many bands I know who formed in the 90s, the cover versions they were doing were all the songs that the other bands played that day. Nothing Else Matters, Enter Sandman, Paradise City. All the songs that the bands played there were the songs that we all learned to to learn how to play our instruments. Um, Yeah, and, and I think it's also important to say for me that having delved in very early, it's like the Magic Years box, you know, the, the three um, cassette, uh, videos. Yeah. Um, Montreux became like a mythical place for me that I did not even believe. It was almost like Camelot. Like, this is not a real place. And, and I think if I could tell my like, 13-year-old self now that I now go there every year at least once and I go there for Christmas, I at least go once a year to like write songs and it's now like, it's part of my yearly routine. I would not believe it because... The first time we went, the band was on tour in Europe, and I'd looked at the map and gone, I know it's not on the way, but that's kind of between countries we're going to. And I got our tour manager on a day off. I was like, we need to go here. And when we came round, I don't know if you've, if you've been to Montreux. I've been there, nice. you, you need to go, obviously. And um, we, this was in the summer. I tend to go in the winter now, but we came round this amazing kind of mountain pass. And for everybody, it was really sunny. For everyone else, we were like, wow, because it's an unbelievably beautiful place. The Alps are there. But for me, I was like, it was like, it was like I just passed away and was now entering what heaven would be to me. Um, it was just insane. And I couldn't believe it was a real place. And yeah, so Montreux, Freddie Mercury tribute. It was, and then the, the Made in Heaven album was the first album I could actually go and buy. The only thing that came out of what I call Real Queen yeah. while I was like, able to go. And so that cover, and then to go there and like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's always important to mention Montreux is like 
for me like a, a special thing. In fact, have I got it on me somewhere? It's on my stage top. I've got the Montreux symbol. For, I mean, I'm just, yeah, it's ridiculous. You'll see that later. So you go every year to Montreux and you write songs there? Yeah, so um, I will go on my own on like a few, like, so- songwriting for me is like, I write in the room with other people when I'm co-writing. Obviously, you go like with the McFly guys or the other artists I work with. For my own music, I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write a song. I like to just walk around, like I'd walk around Southampton if I had time today, and I hear music. And now I've got a few places where like, I just feel magical. And I'll go, go to Montreux, um, and I'll just go there for three days or something, and I won't be with anybody. And all I've got is my own... You know, I don't talk to people for three days. Yeah. I mean, I'm polite if I buy something. I'm just ignoring people. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just... And this I like, image now of you wandering around. Just yeah, just ignoring yeah. everybody. <laughs> Where are you? Like, leave, me, leave me alone. But, yeah, so I, I try and go, like, like uh, you know, on my own uh, in the year. Um, and I like to do things like... Because also, obviously, there's obviously the intense amount of Queen stuff there. Yeah. But there's also the stuff like Smoke on the Water is written about, you know what happened there so I do that on my own and then also at Christmas uh, so when this tour ends because we've still got another month of this tour still uh, it's like three weeks I go to Montreux after this tour that's like my my schedule I can see it and I spend uh, the week up until Christmas in Montreux and it's a Christmas market so my two favourite things are Christmas and Queen so it's like unbelievable I've become really close friends with a guy called Norbert who should definitely get on your podcast and he runs the Christmas market there, but he also runs the whole uh, Freddie Mercury celebration thing they do there, and he does the tours with Peter Freestone, and he owns the shop that has got all the... Jim Beach actually authorises him. It's the only place other than the Queen. They have all the stuff. He's a big Queen guy. Brian goes in the shop all the time. He's He's an absolute legend. So we sit and have uh, fondue and talk about Queen. (laughs) So, yeah, at the end of the year, I go to Montreux for Christmas stuff, reflect on the year I've had and just to it feels special I like to listen to Made in Heaven looking out on that same view the hotel I stay in is next to the apartment Freddie Mercury owned I like to just walk to all the places I, I think Queen fans will get this like I'm not some crazy like stalker of, of geographical locations but I do find a special feeling in just walking the shore and, and, and feeling well like because it's quite it's history now it's like it's a long time since he passed away and they were making those records there and it feels the world's changed so much and there's some parts of there I, I just like to walk on my own and just kind of feel wow like this music that means so much to me was actually like some of it you know obviously they owned the studio but they did stuff other places some of it was made here yeah. and um, the actual casino where you can go into where the studio was and it's like a bit of a museum now yeah. um, that's cool but what I actually like to do is I like to have a glass of champagne in the casino overlooking where the casino part is now but that's the the inside of jazz that's the thing I used to stare at that inside of jazz (laughs) just I couldn't I mean we've probably got as much equipment as that now but like when I was younger I was like what is happening there's more than one drum kit like what what is going it just blew my mind and and I think it might have took me like years to realise Freddie's lying on top of the piano I was just so obsessed with the equipment I was like oh oh, wow he's actually sitting there like but yeah, to actually go there and like, um, yeah, so, so Montreux for me is a real, like, magical, special place that, um, yeah, I just love it there. Yeah. So in Lost Alone, you're the lead singer and guitar player. Yeah. So if we talk a little bit about 
guitar playing. Did yeah. you study Brian May at all when you picked the guitar up, or was it more just you wanted I, to do both? I cause... think that when you see the show tonight, you're going to be like, oh, okay. Because I know, like, not through going... Cause, and I know Brian's actually said this on interviews I've watched before, and I feel the same. There's no point trying to emulate somebody else no matter how much you like them, yeah. because otherwise you, you should be in a tribute band to them yeah. or something, which is totally fine. Yeah. If you've been your own artist, but I know that I know one thing I do, which is like like Danny doesn't do it, yeah. but I do it, which is I do the thing where when I do like a screaming kind of song, I, I just drag the, <laughs> I do the, the, the kind of the, the pre. That really doesn't do much, but it yeah. it, may, it feels like it does yeah. something because it actually doesn't. If you actually like did the science, it doesn't. Yeah. Re- but you feel that, yeah. and I know that's like you know what I mean. Like yeah, I I um I know I do that. Um, but yeah, I I think my I'd had classical lessons when I was really young, and because my parents are not musical at all, but they love music. I used to sit there at age five and just play anything to them, looking at the music, and they clap. But I was just making it up because I, didn't, I did, didn't practice. So I wasn't really... But the Brian got me to be like, I want to be able to play that. And I had yeah. the Starlix video. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I just wanted to be able to play it. And I couldn't. I just yeah. couldn't get my fingers to do it. Um, but, yeah, so I think Brian's style of definitely solo playing, like, um, is... I, there's no other guitar player that is... I'm not really influenced by guitarists because I'm more like songwriting. And, and Freddie, for me, like, you yeah. know, all the Queen members are incredible songwriters, but for me, it's always been like songwriting. But in terms of my guitar playing, there'd be only, there's only one person. I mean, there's, there's nobody else comes close to the influence that uh, his, his guitar playing has had on me in my yeah. life. Um, I know loads of guitarists yeah. in, in a lot of bands who it's the same. Yeah. Uh, Ray Toro from My Chemical Romance, like me and him have sat playing Brian May licks to each other, just going, yeah. ah, like, it's the best stuff ever. <laughs> it's nice to know that you guys do it too, because it's sort of like what oh, we do when we get together. No, no, so seriously, I mean... It, around playing solos and bits yeah, of Starlix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Starlix is just... It, I just think Starlix is one of the... It needs a proper, like, re... He should reissue Starlix, like he's doing other stuff. It's yeah. like a, a bigger package, because it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's such a great thing. I mean, I found it by chance. I was like, oh, there's a VHS on how to play like Brian May. I'll yeah. buy that. Yeah. And then put it in, and it really did divert the whole course of my life in guitar playing. So Starlix was a big thing for yeah. you, yeah. Would, yeah, and then just learning. I remember watching it, and I was aware of the guitar in some ways, but I didn't necessarily know as much about it as I do now, obviously. That's yeah. a super thing to say. But um, Now you know everything, yeah. so... Well. <laughs> But to hear him say, "Oh, I built this with my dad," and you're just like, "You built that with that, your, yeah, that you built that." And the way that I think in some early interviews and stuff, he's almost like, "It's not that good." Yeah. And you're like, "No, actually, what? It's absolutely incredible piece of engineering." Like, you know. <laughs> can you remember when you first learned? I mean, and maybe talking to, to us a little bit about as being an artist, the fact he built that and he's still using it today. Nearly, I mean, it'll be sixty years old that guitar next year. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? I think I knew it really early because of my mum. Yeah. And like, so my mum, I, I very quickly surpassed my mum on ninja level knowledge <laughs> of Queen. But she did know her stuff. You know, she really, really was a big fan. Um, and she told me, as soon as I was into guitar, she was like, oh, Brian May built his guitar. Yeah. So I knew that straight yeah. away. And um, when, again, probably the same for you, but when I think back then, just try, wanting to know about it, whereas now, 
I can tell somebody and send them a link and yeah. there's like every bit of information. Yeah. But when we first saw it, it was just like, you know, like I said, I used to, that um, Star, Starlicks and then some, I think I like Magic Years, pausing a VHS. Yeah. And if people don't know about pausing a VHS, <laughs> it isn't like stopping a DVD. No. It's generally doing this. Yeah. And you're just, tr you're trying to get the pause. So where the lines are, you can see, you see the part of the guitar you need to look at at that point that yep, day. Definitely. So the commitment of being a fan at that point is just a little bit more needed, I think. It's a lot different, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think it's a really interesting thing to think about in terms of access to information, because I know when I first started getting involved around the early 2000s, where it started to, the internet sort of exploded a little bit, and there was a forum, and you could learn a bit about it, and some of the people that had made guitars all around the world that showed Brian and starting to get some information. It was such a, like, oh, there's more people like me moment yeah. and it, it now there's an online community of over five and a half thousand people just the guitar yeah. I'm one of them yeah. I'm, there. I'm yeah. there Stephen you've actually met Brian a couple of times haven't you yeah um, the first time I met him was the Kerrang Awards and my band was up for an award I can't remember what um, but not as good as the award Brian was up for it was him and Roger and it was something like greatest people that have ever existed in the <laughs> world ever and made music. Sounds about right. Um, which, which is accurate. Um, and uh, it was really cool because I've always had a thing, being a, an artist myself and having like a fan base, I would never, if I saw Brian May in the street, I would never go up to him yeah. because I understand that that's private time. And also, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, you know, but I always hoped there'd be a point where I could meet people that have meant something to me. Uh, on a level, and I don't mean on a level where I'm on a level of Brian May, but in terms of I was also there because my band was doing something. Yeah. And uh, it was really nice because um, two things happened that night. One, there was a band called The Blackout, who I'm really good friends with, and their table was next to the Queen table. And um, they said to me, come and sit on our table, so you know, it can be closer. And when they got, when Brian and Roger got up to get the award, I got a high five of Brian. And uh, Sean out of The Blackout and one of his bandmates said to me, they got like a little keyboard out on their phone and went, record something quick, because it's got May, like there's, there's May on you right yeah. now. So I recorded this little thing and they emailed me a few days later, it was awful. Yeah. But I include, I put it on like my solo album, just yeah. like, but anyway, later that night, the editor of Kerrang, um, or the photographer, somebody, somebody at Kerrang, who knew how much Queen meant to me went, you've got to meet Brian. And this did a really nice thing where it went, Brian, Steve, up for an award as well. It was the perfect way just to say, hey, really lovely to meet yeah. you had a photo together, and then, um, I don't know how, but I then very quickly after that got invited to the Brian May, his guitar's birthday party, yep. which was the um, launch of his book about yep. guitar, which, talking earlier, if we'd have had that, yeah. I mean, in the 90s, I mean, I don't know, what would life have been? I wouldn't have made any friends. No. That, that book would have been my friend. Um, but yeah, at, at that, it was, it was lovely again. Um, I thought it'd be some big event and it was quite a small thing and it was lovely. I got to chat to him for a really little while. Um, and yeah, I just always find him to be like um, a lovely guy. And um, yeah, that, that's, and I, I met him at the Abbey Road things briefly, like as, uh, yeah. with the McFly guys, because they've played with him. Yeah. I think they, I think he played with them on stage at Wembley and they, they, they went on stage at the Queen Musical years ago as well. So they've had a kind of connection yeah. in the years. And also my friends in My Chemical Romance um, have, he came on at Reading with them and stuff, so they've had a good connection. So it's been kind of some mutual, like, just general 
a lot of love for Brian from people yeah. I'm friends with over the years. So yeah, it's been, I just feel, you know, I mean, I'm not friends with Brian May, let's be clear. But I feel very happy that I've met somebody who's created so much work that has impacted my life. Um, I just feel really nice that I've got to say, you know, thank you to him a few times. Yeah. You know. No, I mean, he's always lovely. He seems oh, like yeah. a genuinely nice bloke. Definitely. And yeah, it's lovely to get to meet him. In terms of the guitar, have you had any experience with the guitar? I have had a photo with it, like I take photos with fans of mine, where yeah. I put my arm round it, but not like you, <laughs> who's had it on him, wow. which I might have to actually just get yeah, a touch on I you. I wouldn't. But yeah, but, um, yeah at, at the event for the birthday, yeah. which was honestly for a, a fan of Queen and Brian, uh, I think it's all on YouTube, actually, the whole thing, but he literally just sat in front of me, well, us, it wasn't just me, I pretended yeah. it was just me. Uh, first he got his first acoustic, it was given, you know, it was his birthday, then he had the red special, and he just sat there and told the entire story of how he, yeah. his evolution of his guitar, and then played like the Bohemian Rhapsody solo, like as close as the camera is. Yeah. You know, just an unbelievable experience to have that. And then, yeah, after uh, Peter, his uh, tech, yeah. um, said he can have a photo, don't touch. Yeah. So I was like, like this about <laughs> it. And um, yeah, I mean, and honestly, and no offense to Brian, but I, on that night, I was actually more starstruck by the guitar. So, yeah. Because I met Brian once before, yeah. <laughs> so it's nothing against Brian. Because obviously, my spec level is off the chart for Brian. But like, you know, that guitar, like, gosh, like, just to be like, just just to have it there, like, it was just unreal. I was just thinking about all the music that he made on it, yeah. recording the stages I've seen it on in terms of in footage and yeah. and the evolution of it as well. I was kind of looking because. You know, people like us, the connoisseurs, you really do, you know, we, if somebody shows us a picture from 77 or 74, we, we know. Yeah, you know when it's wrong. Um, and I am proud of that. Some yeah. people wouldn't be, but I, but I am proud of that. I would know by the stain or the kind of the, the slight, you know, and also I'd know by the, I'll tell you what I would know. This would be a good quiz you should do, maybe. I don't yeah. know if you've done this. I would know by the tone what year it is, yeah. if from a concert. We should have a... That would be a really good idea to test yeah. people, because it's very obvious to me, uh, from like a live show, yeah. uh, if you could take away what... You know, if it was a song that's always played, obviously you have to find one that's always there, yeah. I'd definitely be able to know which... Um, which Not maybe which tour, but which year. Yeah. I'd know the year. Maybe we have to look into that. Year yeah. by tone. Not that's a bad the, idea. That's the quiz, yeah. <laughs> We could work out which treble booster it was. Exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything in your current rig setup that you use that is influenced by Brian at all? Or are there any new things in your guitar, um, or choice of guitar? Have you ever played a Brian May guitar? I or? do have, I have one of the Burns, yeah. um, which obviously studying all the Red Special, you know, the pages and stuff. If I ever had the time, or quite frankly the skill, because I'm not skilled, I would love to do like, you know, people mod like a, a Burns to make it more like, yeah, yeah it's a Burns I've got. Yeah. Uh, my guitar tech is an insane, like, um, he can do things. He, he yeah. is somebody who, make a Red Special, he'd probably yeah. make a, the best one ever, like in a, a, you know, a few months. But um, no, in terms of like my, Brian's influence on my setup, one is very early on understanding to have more than one amp, not for volume, yep. but for like clarity. Yep. So as you'll see tonight, um, I have two amps and they're doing different things. They're not just, you know, to make it loud or whatever. 
And then the other thing, I guess, which I've never really thought about until you just said it, but I do have a one-of-a-kind custom guitar that nobody else on the planet has made for me for one song, uh, which is the most ridiculous guitar you will see. Uh, but I needed... Because when you said tonight, we're a four-piece, we have an extra guitar player. We did stadium shows with Michael Requirements last year, and I decided... Because I'm the front man and the guitarist, I decided I wanted to... A bit like what Brian did in the Brian May Band, I wanted somebody doing some more rhythm... So for big shows, not because I can't play, but I need to be able to take my hands off occasionally yeah. and do some actual, like, you know, otherwise people are just like, anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, before, when we were three-piece, I needed to be able to, I needed effectively a seven-string guitar, and I had one made for me, and I hated it instantly, because, and, and all guitarists will get this, when you play a seven-string, suddenly an E looks like an A minor. And I was like, I couldn't, it was almost like I was, because I'm a good guitar player, yeah. I know it so well. I was yeah. like, I couldn't compute the extra string. So I actually had a cocktail. I'd say I had a cocktail in a dream. And I dreamt up this weird guitar and I sent it to my friend, this Luthier in Leicester, an unbelievable guy, Nigel and Danny. Leicester Luthiers are amazing. They look after all my guitars now. And they built me this guitar, which is like an SG, which has a neck for one string coming out on the, on, like, at the bottom. And I can play across the. Um, I'll put that down a sec. I can play across both things, bring this hand over and play a riff while a chord's still on. Yeah. And I can also do a riff where I play there, then jump between the necks. And it's just for one song called Crusaders. Um, so yeah, I guess like in a very loose way, I have a one-off guitar that nobody else has, um, and I guess I probably subconsciously had an idea I wanted to look like that because yeah. of be obsessed with the O'Briens, <laughs> but definitely no skill in terms of like, you know, uh, being able to make something on my own. And the only other thing I have, which I think is quite cool, which I do tend to find people like us cross over on this, but all my pedals, uh, or most of them, are custom made by Jimmy, the guy I just mentioned, the guitar tech, yeah. Star Wars pedals. So um, I have R2 EQ, <laughs> I have Han Solo, which when I hit the solo boost, uh, he fires his gun. Yep. Um, I have ABY X-Wing, which yep. is a three-way splitter. Buffer Fett. Um, I mean, it go, effectively, what we did was, as many like puns we could come up with for Star Wars effects, we were like, right, make that. Yeah. Um, super Hard-On, yep. is, um, which I had nothing to do with, I just want to say, is Princess Leia in the bikini from sure. Return of the Jedi. Um, on, on the on the pedal for the super hard on, um, I can't think. There's echo bass, which is an echo yeah. pedal, and they're all stunning. I'll, sh I'll show you them. Um, but yeah, so I do. I, I have. Quite, I actually didn't really think, but I actually have a lot of custom stuff. But yeah. my main setup is I use SGs. I use an SG Junior, uh, like a cherry red one from 1965. Is my main. Um, I play on stage with McFly every night as yeah. well. And that's what I'm going to use. That's more my because it's an old guitar. I tend to keep that at home. But for yeah. this tour, I've bought it out. And my main guitars in Lost Alone are all custom SGs that they're regular SGs that then I've had a load of stuff done to by my luthiers to make them the very specific way I like my yeah. guitar to be all P90s my guitars pickup wise um, and yeah I, I don't have quite like Brian I don't have like loads going on like yeah. I literally have a, I have a, a Marshall JMP from the 70s 74 and then Marshall also give me, like, his backups for till I've got a JCM 800 and some JVM, which has got too many knobs. Um, and then, so I have my, my normal setup is a JMP, 
and next I have a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier, but a 90s one. Uh, once it got to the 2000s, the Mesa Boogies ended up having like 5,000 knobs on them. Mine is the one where it was just like clean boost channel, very simple, and I had both amps running together, and the Mesa, so the JMP is quite crunchy sound, like Angus Young, the Mesa goes from clean to full on, like everything at 11, and then I have a couple of boost pedals and a delay, uh, and my switcher. And I have two tuners on my board. Um, that is because I have one that is always, I can see, so when I'm singing and playing, I can actually, if I feel something's a bit weird, I can quickly do a little, um, make it seem like it's intentional part yeah. of the solo. And the other one's obviously a silent, silent tuning yeah. thing. Yeah, so that's my setup really. Yeah. So I'd say pretty influenced by Brian then and simplicity in the two amps. Yeah, so. definitely. I know people who've got like, you know, they need a truck to bring their yeah. pedal boards, whereas mine is like the essentials, you know. That's always what's in spot. I've been so impressive about Brian is that he can pretty much play all of his songs just with a guitar, treble booster, and an AC30. Yeah, I mean, when I went to that uh, the, the guitar birthday thing, he had just those tiny little uh, Vox things yeah. and his treble booster, and that literally sounded identical yeah. to like um, yeah to the sound. Yeah, this is fantastic. He is really impressive. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, words don't really do him justice, I think. Having seen him earlier this month or last month, between October, seeing him live, it is just, he's still up there doing what he does best, and he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I was really lucky to see him also in Buxton on the Kerry Ellis tour. Yep. And that was really interesting for me because he, it made me realise who the greats are because he was playing the acoustic guitar and because I'm obviously a musician as well and I play guitar you know, in bands all the time, but he almost felt behind the beat he was so in time. Like, that's how crazy it was. I'd never experienced somebody so in time. Yeah. It was bizarre and magical. The way it was... And I'm also just... I just like to watch songs. I'm not somebody who's going... Like, I actually don't do... I'm, I just want to hear the great songs, but it really... I couldn't help but notice how absolute precision his playing is and the feel and the passion in the fingers is really I think he could pick up you know he could make a guitar out of that chair yeah. and it would still sound like him to be fair yeah. because I think it is in the the mind the heart and the fingers where his playing comes from and his songwriting but he wrote maybe my favourite Queen song Who Wants to Live Forever yeah. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written definitely is and do, do you have an affinity for all of the Queen films as well. Um, Flash, The Highlander. Oh yeah, I mean, Flash, massive for me. Uh, and I actually love the soundtrack as well. Yeah. I, I listened to that. I love the way that they did that. It was innovative at the time. Yeah. You can listen to the soundtrack. It's like an audio 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 book because yeah. it is the movie. Uh, Highlander is the most I think for me because um, I love the movie yeah. and it's just mad. I love the fact that versions of the songs are a little different to the Queen ones. So, yeah, I think we're actually, day off tomorrow, we're watching Highlander. Yeah, nice. We've committed to, yeah. let's do Highlander. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that. Because um, my favourite Queen album is Queen 2. I've got the tattoo on my arm there. Uh, that, for me, is the most magical of... I mean, it's my favourite album of all time. I just find it... If I, you know, it's an album that just takes me to some insane place, like a, I don't know... It's just unbelievable. I love I love the Freddie side and the Brian side. The Freddie side, probably weirdly for me, being a massive Brian fan, that second side is like my favourite side of music ever. Um, 
But yeah, there's, there's stuff across. I mean, I love... I, I think a lot of Queen fans are like this, but I have kind of periods where, like, I'm in an era and I'll just be like, absolutely, I'm obsessed with being in the works era. Yeah. And I just want to know... Every, I, just, I just I read about the works and I, I only listen to that record. And, um, and when I'm on tours like this, I tend to be... Like, I've been watching uh, Queen at the Bowl and Montreal... Yeah. Montreal? Yeah, the, the, the one that used to be called We'll Rock You. Yep. Because I love that one because it's on film and it's insane, the quality. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I would always say I'm an early Queen fan, but Innuendo is one of my favourite records yeah. of all time. I love The Miracle. I, I just love all Queen. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, when you look at their catalogue, I mean, we always talk about this. You, you know, I was watching the Rugby World Cup final last night and they've got Freddie doing the Deos over one there. Yeah. And then you've got We Were Rocky, We Are The Champions. Being right, like, yeah, and I, lo- I love that it's not hit. intentional. They didn't go, let's write the themes to all these different amazing yeah. events. They just became, you know, and I think Brian said this before, but I've actually experienced this myself where people don't realise somebody wrote We Were Rocky. Yeah. They think it's like green sleeves or yeah. some like medieval <laughs> thing that's just like always been around. Yeah. And I, I understand why they think that, yeah. you know, because, because if, you're, if you're 15 now, you, you don't maybe know that, like, a man wrote yeah. that song. You know, it doesn't, but when you listen to it, it doesn't, it kind of, you know, because it is in everything, so you're kind of exposed to it from an early age. It kind of is just there. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it was created for TV or for stadiums yeah, or for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you learn that it wasn't, it was written by a chap to go on an album. It was an album, it was a song for an album yeah. that, that they made in 1977, you know. It still withstands the test of time. Yeah, it's incredible. And, um, yeah, I think to have written one song like that is insane, but Queen have written four or five, six, like, in terms of that level of yeah. song. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I I still find it fascinating that all four of them wrote, yeah. not just wrote, but wrote big hits. Because yeah. that's actually really rare for bands to have all four people who can deliver iconic songs like that. Especially when you look at how bands generally form today, it's less and less of a group of friends getting together and Completely, just yeah. by magic and all growing up in the same place or yeah, yeah. finding each other. It's very much more manufactured or we'll take you because you've got that and we'll put you with that person yeah I think it's um, yeah it's quite interesting I think that my theory is that uh, Apple Mac computers used to be like quite niche and when they became the computer that everybody got and you had GarageBand on it which became Logic or or Logic's you know the the program to record uh, people who got that when they were like 12, 13 they became instantly very good producers because they were you know you learn things as a kid And they've been able to make their own music. So there's a lot more solo artists around now who then get band members because it's their thing. So it's a lot more... I mean, obviously, still are bands, and there's great yeah. bands, but there are definitely a lot more people who can just do it all on their own, yeah. find a following online, and then they have to think about being a live band, um, which, you know, myself, McFly, all my kind of friends at age bands, we played in, like, a, you know a room like and, yeah. were, and were awful for ages yeah. and the thought of recording was wait when we could afford oh my god yeah. we can get in the studio you know otherwise it was just a cassette on a boom box in the middle of a room um <laughs> we've all know. done that as well yeah <laughs> exactly so so yeah um 
I do think it's very different for bands. And even just things like, you know, I'm using in-ear monitors now. Yeah. I, that's a recent thing for me. Like, I never used to do that. People have wireless things now. I mean, I, I have wireless for my ears, but I still own a, own a cable for guitar because I just prefer it. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, things change, don't they? I mean, I'm sure people 20 years older than us are saying, you know, completely, you know, we had it, we had all this stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's just interesting, I think, to think about where it's all come and gone from. And you sort of look at what's available now in terms of music. And, I mean, there are some fantastic artists out there. And as you rightly say, there are some great bands. But generally, what we see isn't that in the mainstream. Not saying Queen never were mainstream at the time but when they broke properly yeah yeah it was four people that just found each other and yeah decided they wanted to do something yeah and they went on to rock the world and be one of the best bands that ever has been yeah i think i think the the main thing and this is probably coming from the songwriting world that i'm in is that guitar music isn't at the moment and it does go in cycles it isn't the mainstream yeah uh, there's obviously some big bands who use guitars but it isn't the mainstream right now and when Queen formed, guitar music was the music. Yeah. Um, I think kind of when my band came up around the mid 2000s, it was another, uh, you know, there's like the early 90s was big for guitar and Nirvana, then you had Oasis over here. And then kind of 2006, 7, 8, 9, again, massive, you know, the kind of emo explosion, which was awesome because that was very influenced by Queen and Bowie and stuff. So at the moment, we're Although I will say, from the songwriting point of view, guitars are coming back big time now. With it's just a different way yeah. to what we would say, uh, and we have to accept it. There's a production that's different, but people want to play guitars again. It's become like like talent has become a thing again. I think we had that awful period of like talent shows yeah. uh, or manufactured stuff, and now we're a period again where people. I can't do writing sessions where. I'll just play something on the guitar while I'm chatting, and I'm going, wow, can, can we do that? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like people have started to enjoy, like, talent again. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm, like, the, the talent, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, oh, can we do... People want real music again, yeah. and that's really exciting. Really that exciting. is really exciting. Speaking of real music, your own music, mm -hmm. where can people go to find out about Lost Alone, Stephen Patel, where yeah. are you on tour after McFly? What are your plans for that? Awesome. So, yeah, so I guess Lost Alone, you know, Spotify or lostalone.com is where you can buy our, you know, vinyl. We always have vinyl, CDs, etc. Uh, Instagram, I'm Stephen Battelle on Instagram and Stephen J. Battelle on Twitter or whatever it's now called. Um, and yeah, we are touring uh, March 2024 in smaller venues, yep. um, like a headline tour. Um, it's going to be great because um, we're playing a lot of the cities we're playing on this tour. Yep. Um, so yeah, really exciting. So yeah, just we we're kind of in a we put an album out when we did the stadiums last year with Mike M. This year we've just been putting out like single songs, and then I'll probably look to make another record next year. Um, so yeah, there's there's four albums. I would recommend if I was going to recommend a song to Brian May fans and Queen fans to listen to of mine, I would listen to the song Crusaders off an album called Shapes of Screams. Um, just I won't make him I won't review myself but that's the one I would say we'll sums it up to Spotify awesome, in the YouTube yeah, description yeah. so people can go and listen to it yeah that'd be, that'd be awesome yeah. where Stephen's yeah. influence has come from yeah. Stephen it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today man I've really enjoyed it thank you for having me on this no, incredible podcast no you're very welcome it's nice to have met you when I did through pure chance yeah, and then wonderful. start chatting and, and make this happen so yeah. in honour of you 
agreeing to do oh, this. No. I have oh, a no. once in a lifetime. Not many people get one of these. This is unbelievable. Podcast t-shirt wow. just for you. Thank you so much. That is to, incredible. Uh, choose to do with what you wish. I will be wearing it. That Brian is May has one of those. Um, so you wow. have something Brian May has. That is unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm very proud of that. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks so very much. Hands. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and we will see you again soon. And that was the Stephen Patel episode. Thank you so much, Stephen. That was a fantastic thing to do. And I think, I hope everyone can come across that, or it comes across to everyone that actually filming live in person is so much more beneficial to, to us recording than it is over Zoom. Now, obviously, we use Zoom for very good reasons when the podcast became came out but moving forward we'd like to do more in-person stuff if we can um, where possible so that we can get slightly better conversations um, yeah so thanks so much Stephen you, you're absolutely right man um, keep in touch and we we'll, might see you on the podcast again another time soon but we'll talk about it later anyway moving on in 2024 is coming right up we have the New episodes of the podcast coming out. We've got more people lined up to speak to. We've got some other exciting videos lined up to record. I wonder what those might be. But more importantly, and the thing that is on everyone's mind right now, obviously after the UK meetup in 2023, is the Red Special Guitar Meetup in 2024 um, in October. We're going to be announcing the date really soon, and we're also going to announce information on tickets and what has changed which is really, really exciting because there are some wonderful changes to this year's meetup, things that will allow more people to come and also will make the day even more special, which I think it, it's hard to do, but I, I'm very hopeful that what we've done is going to appeal to you all. Anyway, thanks so much for watching. You stay safe and I will catch you all in the next one. Cheerio.